back to the Forever Broken Podcast, where we're here to answer the big questions like, uh, if vegetable oil is made out of veggies, peanut oil is made out of peanuts, what's baby oil made out of? And other such big questions uh, that we will not answer right now, but we will move into that. Uh, I am Derek Thompson, your host as always, and with me is TJ Davidson. What's up, guys? Special guest co-host Justin Thompson. Hey, guys. And uh, the very, very special guest today, Jeremy Condon. What up, man? All right, so we'll just kind of dive into this, and we'll just kind of start talking about life and what have you. We were just having some pretty good conversation about the military and how, uh, you know, former Marines say fuck really aggressive, so that was fun. Yeah, I kind of want to ask Jeremy kind of about his uh, wealth of information, because, I mean... He's honestly, like, you can't give a short synopsis of him. Like, I was just trying to think of a way to do that last night, and you can ask Justin. I was trying to do this last night, and I was like, yeah, it just can't be done. You can't give a short synopsis on everything you've done. No, you're you're a jack of all trades and a master of one and three quarter. At least. I like to look at it more of, like, uh, I'm just one giant failure. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. I don't think I've completed anything I've ever set up to do in my entire life. I'm, I'm looking back. I don't think I've done one thing. I'm, I'm pushing 40. But you know? you've started a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I started a lot. I'm just not so good at the finishing. I'm still working on that. that yeah, yeah the, too, step, man. the journey too. of a million miles starts with that first step. You just got, you just got a lot of journeys going on. Yeah. Yeah, now you're doing it, man. Now you're now you're really walking for a living, you know? Yeah, I'm walking for a living now, man. I'm working at the post office now, you know, as a as a letter carrier. And uh, I found out earlier that TJ's paying for mail, which is not a thing. And uh, yeah, we're pretty sure he's, he's being robbed. Definitely check into that because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you don't pay for it. Yeah, so, yeah, somebody's getting fucked, and I'm pretty yeah. sure it's me. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely and not there's that, else. There's that aggressive fuck. You know, whoever's paying, they're getting paid, you know. Lucky guy, just raking nice. in a hundred and whatever dollars off you every month. I just came up with the greatest idea. Yes. I'm going to start knocking on people's houses, on their doors. I'm going to say, hey, the post office is doing this new thing. Turns out you got to pay the post guy uh, for me to keep delivering your mail. So I'm going to leave this envelope. You just put 20 bucks in it once a week, and I'll keep delivering your mail. Do uh, it really thug-like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. You know, boy, if you're going to do that, and though, you've got to smash their mailbox as you leave every time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, kind of walk, walk everybody through, because there will be a lot of people who, again, are coming in for – for an understanding of just who you are, how how has your life led to where you're at right now? Because you do you have a very interesting life that I think I think a lot of people could learn something from, and I think your story is super interesting. So can you just give us I don't know start at any age you're comfortable, and and walk us through just how you ended up taking each step and and how it's kind of played out for you. Sure. Yeah. Uh... You know, this is the crazy thing. 
about life and uh and you know even at 40 years old i'm still trying to figure it out you know and and i think a lot of that has to do you know we you know you listen to uh a lot of your guys' previous podcasts and people have touched on uh, you know mental health issues and their struggles with it and struggles you know and, and you guys are trying to bring an open forum and and i'm pretty much your poster child for how uh you know, PTSD and uh, depression and those kind of things can really, really affect you um, well beyond what people's normal impression is of it. You know, like a lot of people look at someone and they, they might say, hey, yeah, this dude's, uh, de- you know, he's got depression. You know, I, I've got family members with depression and they all hold down jobs just fine. And they, you know, they take the pills and they do this and they do that. Or maybe they can just go to counseling and the counseling is, you know, if I just talk about it, then that makes me better. If I just take, um, you know, this antidepressant, well, that makes me better. And for a lot of people, those those tools absolutely work, 100% work. You know, like I said, I've got brothers in the military at the highest, highest levels and, and you know, they... They struggle with with mental health issues, and they can take medications, and everything works out just fine for them. Uh, or uh, you know, you're having some issues, and you go to a counselor, and you talk through it, and all that stuff works. That stuff, I've been broken for so long that that stuff literally it just doesn't work. It's like I've I've talked as much as I can talk. We've rummaged through this as much as we've rummaged through it. We've tried all the pills. I had a gene test done that would literally tell me, this is how crazy, this is how crazy, out of control uh, uh, this mental health thing is. They, this doctor came in, she's like, hey man, I'm gonna swab your cheek and I'm gonna take your DNA and I'm gonna tell you what pills are gonna work best for you that are gonna fix you. That's a thing, so man. Yeah, it's a thing. <clears throat> so she swabs my cheek, and I'm I'm waiting for the results. <laughs> <laughs> this is what wild. I got. I'm sorry, this makes me laugh, and I I promise I'll get to you know my story here. <laughs> no, you're but good. But you got to know where I'm at right now. Yeah, we got to talk about be, where you're at now. Talk about where you've been. You know, yeah, you got to know. Hey, you can you can see where someone's at right now. To it, it, you better understand where they're coming from. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. So. Uh, they swab my cheek, they do this thing, they come in with this pamphlet, and it's got all this stuff. Dude, all of the pills that there are for what I have, I can't take. None of them. So I suffer from this crazy, well, I got PTSD, and I also suffer from uh, dissociation. It's like a dissociative disorder where I kind of, I don't really know how to put it mildly, you just kind of you you separate your your brain separates from and i'll be really interested to hear if anybody's listening if if they have this because it's it's so crazy rare that you just most psychiatrists that i've talked to almost all psychiatrists that i've talked to and doctors that i've talked to when i say hey i've got you know uh, a dissociative disorder like dissociation a derealization or depersonalization they don't even know what that is. My right. cur- my current psych- psychiatrist doesn't know what that is. She has no idea what it is. 
And so she doesn't know how to treat it. And, and so it, that makes it even more difficult to treat when, when they don't understand what it is. And so I'll, I'll explain what it is later. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is all of these things that they try to, you know, when, sometimes when people are broke, there's just no way around it. You're just, you're broken. You know, and a lot of people will argue and be like, well, you can get you can get better and you can get better. And yes, you can. But at the same time, you're you're still you're still broken. You know what I mean? And and it's OK to be broken and it's OK to fall apart. It's OK not to have it all together. And that's another thing. Like, listen to me ramble right now. But it's another thing that makes me just infuriated is when people are like, hey, you know, it's, it'll be better. It'll be better. It'll be like, no, dude, it won't be because I'm, I'm so far beyond fucked up, but I've been living like this for so long that, that this, that I, I'm controlling it. You know what I'm saying? I'm in control of this, you know, but am I really, I don't know, probably not. So here's my story, man. I grew up as a, uh, you know, typical parents get divorced kind of thing, right? Moved to Omaha Nebraska. And I, I basically am, am raising myself and my little brother for about, you know, five, six years. All right. Some, some crazy stuff happens, you know, sleeping under bridges and, uh, not, you know, just, just, you know, tough life, you know, it's uh, the kind, you know, that, you know, those years where you're forming who you are, uh, your your mind, your teenager, it's full of hormones and all this stuff, and, and you just want to go out. And I tell my kids all the time, hey, just go do whatever you want to do, man. You want to play ball, you want to go be in the game, you know, baseball, football, you want to dance, you want to play whatever. Just enjoy this time because when it's done, it's done. You'll never have this again. It's over, right? That time frame of my life was was stolen from me. I didn't have that time frame. I was in survival mode at the age of 11 years old, right? And then I come back to, I, re, I come to the realization at about, oh, 16, 17 years old, that if I don't stop what's going on, if I don't get control of this somehow, I'm not going to survive. There, there wasn't even a, a doubt in my head the road that I was going on, it was, and that's crazy to think about as, as well as what kind of kid at 15, 16, 17 years old has to come to the realization that if I keep doing this, I'm, I'm going to die and has to, has to self-correct, you know? So I moved back to North Platte to try to finish out high school with my dad, which I did luckily. And, uh, and then I graduate and, you know, uh, high school, basically because the principals there and a huge Mr. Twirling and uh, uh, Mr. Whitney, if you're listening, <laughs> thank you so much for letting me just just do whatever I wanted to do and still passing me. That was that was very kind of you. So they get me through because they they knew my past, they knew where I came from, they knew what was going on. They basically just said, "Hey, man, just be present." That's all we ask is be present. And, and, and I was. So I take off from high school and I, uh, I joined the military. I, I joined the Air Force. And I, because I was like, man, I can't go to college. 
I can't do this. I didn't take an SAT or ACT or whatever those kids take now. You know, I took the ASVAB and I scored pretty high in the ASVAB. And so I went and I was like, my brothers went into the Air Force. They're both career Air Force. One of my, my oldest brother is in Space Force, like one of the top people up in Space Force working out of the Pentagon. I mean, like I idolized these guys. They were phenomenal. I was like, okay, I'm going to do what they did, right? I can do what they did. And so I thought, okay. I get through boot camp and I'm, you know, my, I'm the flight leader. I was very, very successful. I was the one in charge of everybody else. Everybody came to me. And then I went to my, uh, drill sergeant, you know, like I was like the liaison for our flight and I was felt so amazing. It was the first time in my life that I was actually super proud of myself. Like I was writing to my dad because back then, you know, we just did letters. There was no phone calls during um, boot camp. I mean, it was just letters. I, hey, dad, you'd be so proud of me of, of this and that. You know, Rosie's sister. <laughs> I hope he's listening. She wrote me the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. So, so Chris Rosenthal, he's a fellow uh, firefighter. You know, Derek and I worked together. His, his sister's a bombshell. <laughs> the whole time we were at boot camp, we're writing each other letters. Oh, I was going to marry that girl. <laughs> uh, so so i get out of boot camp and i graduate you know and I'm, i i was able to walk the flight deck or whatever they, they call it you know the, the big piece of cement out there where you do all your funky like uh, cool moves and stuff poop deck. and you know i was i got a i got a special little pin outside of, i don't know what those called those little things you put on the shirt little ribbons oh yeah i got a special one yeah this, this feels more like stolen valor the more you keep making things up yeah, I know. It's really bad. It that, is. It that is. actually but, might be what it is. Oh, okay. I can, I can prove all of this. I can show you. And so I get out, and my dad comes down to San Antonio, Texas, and, you know, we eat steak and blah, blah, blah. It's like my first meal. Everything's happy. My dad, one of the first times I've ever seen my dad really cry. Like, he hugged me and was cried. I'm so proud of you. You did this. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing it. Like, I, I turned that portion of my life around that was a mess and i turned it around and i'm fixing it so i get into tech school and as i'm going through tech school i'm going to tech school for firefighting in uh, san angelo texas which by the way i don't know if you guys knew this i was in there the same time jeremy hankel was there well no kidding that's a fun yep. fact the girl asked jeremy he's got pictures of the girl <laughs> the marine that was uh, uh, I'm not going to go down that road. I go down the road. Bring it back. Marine, Bring it back. She was one of the only female Marines on base, and she was very pretty. So, um, a lot of she got a lot of attention from the from men, and one of the guys that gave her attention was Jeremy Hankel. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, as I'm going through tech school, my mind starts to unravel. I start uh, I start having panic attacks really bad. I start uh, just kind of falling apart and I start, so I sneak off base and I get hammered. And when I come back on base, they, this was right as September 11th was happening. And uh, so they locked down the base, but I had snuck out and then tried to come back on and, and got caught. And so I ended up having to go see a counselor because it was part of like my, I don't know, it was part of the process. You know, you're in tech school, 
let's say you're in phase one, phase two, phase three, phase three, you know, you're allowed to be off base or phase four, you're allowed to be off base. Well, I was in phase three or something. I wasn't allowed to be, and and it was September 11th. So you're not, I wasn't supposed to be off the base anyways. So I have to go see this counselor who's got to go through and ask me all these questions. Well, she started asking me questions and she's like, Hey man, you got a problem. You've got, you've got issues. And so they pull up, <laughs> they pull up my, uh, I get, they pull up my doctor's basically, uh, what is it called? You know, notes, right? And they start asking me and they're like, Hey, have you ever been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD? And I was like, yeah, actually I have been, I was on Ritalin, you know, for a long time. <laughs> you, know? you can't be on Ritalin. You can't <clears throat> dude. Look this up. They'll ask you to look leave. this up. They'll ask you to leave. They'll say, dude, the door's right there. You got the ADHD. You're a monster. <laughs> you got to go. Which so, is weird because we all have ADHD. Right? I have yet to meet a normal person in the military. I mean, it, they just don't happen. But if you have ADHD or ADD, they were like, no, no. A methylphenidate, which was which, which is like the cheap version of Ritalin, is considered a mind-altering substance. Well, I was on this mind-altering substance before uh, joining the military, and they were like, dude, we've, you, you're done. We've, we've basically just got to part ways with you, like... So I get sent to uh, <clears throat> I get sent to this facility to get like a full blown evaluation, and this this is from San Angelo. I get sent back to San Antonio, and uh, and they're like, uh, I'm making clay dicks. I'm doing all kinds of stuff, you know, like you know, like they, there was an art class, and it was like, dude, you're gonna put a mound of clay in front of me. I'm gonna make the biggest dick you've ever seen, the biggest clay dick ever molded i was grabbing everybody else's clay i had like 14 pounds of clay i had a 12 foot tall eight foot wide penis and they didn't like that either and so it basically came down to look you've got too many issues it sounds to me like what? normal i mean this just all, I this can all think, sounds very normal to me uh, all i can think of right now is super bad and the kid who can't stop drawing dicks and <laughs> that's right. now now you're the kid who can't stop molding penis this is literally mold, everyone mold, in the military man I, I I was like I wonder what the like the doctor's standing there writing notes and yeah. I wonder what his well he wrote notes were. he wrote the Michelangelo of crotches is what he wrote like <laughs> this man is this is the next David with no arms or legs yes so I uh, long story short man I get I get let go and so they called it an entry level separation because I wasn't in the military long enough to actually have a uh, um, with what do they call that? Like a discharge of any type. It wasn't like a medical discharge or an honorable or dishonorable. It was just like, Hey, we fucked up with this one. We're just going to sweep this under the rug. They basically gave me a plane ticket home and, and, and took my little military ID. They cut it up, gave me a plane ticket home, sent me home. And so I failed. That, so this is going to be the repeating theme. I, so I'm going to write this fail one. Is this where I need to take a note? That's fail know, one. Okay. Is that all we're on? Yeah, I think we might be at fail two because fail one was just was you know barely getting out of high school. No, that was success, I mean, man. I, that was huge. Success. That was success. Yeah, that's a success. Yeah. You finished. That's a win. So I get I get sent home, and I'm like, all right, I got all this stuff going on in my mind. 
I, you know, I play guitar a little bit. I start, I start writing songs. These songs start pouring out of me like crazy. I mean, I can't stop writing. It becomes like this crazy obsession. So I moved to Omaha and I gig around in Omaha and I'm doing pretty good. And then uh, I'm like, I'm going to go to California. So I head out to California and I start playing music out there and was very, very successful in California playing music. I, I, I played for a lot of, or opened for a lot of big names and really enjoyed myself, you know, like it was one of the best phases in my life, except for I was also a raging alcoholic and a raging drug addict. And there was no stopping that bus. I mean, very addictive personality, burying everything, you know, how much can I drink? How much can I smoke? What, what do you, what, what's a handful of this handful of that, anything I could. And ultimately that sort of led to my demise because I was in works with a record label and the record label was like, Hey man, they do these things kind of like, kind of like an artist showcase where you, an artist representative will come up and be like, Hey, we want you to play music, you know, for a group of guys and we're going to, or girls, and we're going to uh, dictate your future. How, how can we help you? Who can we set you up with? How can we get you going? Who, you know, let's get this ball rolling. Well, I went out and got very, very high and very, very intoxicated the night before. Never made, never made it to the meeting. This was very, very fucked up. I called the, uh, the, the representative from the record label and was basically told, hey, man, you can't do what you just did. Like these people are, <laughs> would they controlling your future? And so by you doing this, you just basically said, you know, fuck off. My, my, your drugs and your alcohol. We can already tell you're too big of a uh, liability. We we can't do this with you. You know. Would, so would you say it was like an entry level separation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's so exactly. That's they were, they were like, you know, and so they sent me to this, you know, they sent, so the record label sent me to this place and uh, they gave me a bunch of clay. I started molding <laughs> these giant dicks. It turns dicks. out, if you want to play music, Ridland's off the table. That's the only thing I've learned. <laughs> if you want to be successful, music industry has nothing to me, do with though, that. though, like this, this necess wasn't necessarily a fail because you may have failed uh, the music side of it, but you were successful in your drug use. Yeah, yeah, I was very successful. I was so successful that <laughs> I was so successful. I, I can't, man. You know what? I wasn't that successful. I actually failed at that too because I, I didn't over, like I overdosed but didn't die. That's so a success, that would, man. So would that be fail three? Yeah. Would you call that? Yeah, that's fail. Okay, that's probably so. fail. Before, hey, before we like before we dig deeper, be because I've I do have a few things I want to touch on, and we'll continue your story because I think just your story is going to turn into. The episode we won't even really have to go yeah, that we much. We won't even be able to hit anything else. And no, I was, there's so much. But I picked so, up on I think some of the stuff you were thinking too. Well, first I thought, well, you were homeless in high school. You played music, so you're kind of like a better looking jewel. I just wanted to make that noted. Your teeth yes. are straighter. I I think you yes. have a more beautiful voice. Um, but and think, your beard's so, way better than Jules. Uh, <laughs> eh. She's got a pretty oh, and that one tooth. Anyway, yeah, that's fair. So you were talking about medications and your psychiatrist. And 
and I don't know for for you, you said one of the biggest issues you have is you have a diagnosis that she can't relate to. And mm-hmm. a lot of your trauma is stuff that people can't relate to. So for people in these communities, whether it's law enforcement, military, fire, whoever, right? If you're looking for help, what what issues and, and how hard is it for you to connect to somebody who can't who can't put themselves in that or have some similar experience versus what you think maybe a peer support, somebody who's been down that road, what where where is the disconnect there and what can be done or should be done for people who are struggling to find that counselor or that psychiatrist who just doesn't get the crap they've been through or the crap they've seen. Sure. So yeah, let's let's take one step back and clarify. It's not that they. It's not that someone who has a trauma or it has a mental illness can't relate, because we can all relate. I mean, you know what it's like to be down. You, you know, Derek, TJ, you guys know what it's like to be down. You know what it's like to think those thoughts that you don't, you don't say out loud. Yeah. Kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you we can all relate in that as, aspect. But my actual diagnosis. Um, of, of derealization and depersonalization is very, very unique. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dig into that because depression is like a veil, right? It just, it just kind of weighs over everything. It's like a dust in your brain and it just, it's, it's just everywhere. It's, it's, it's all over everything you look at, right? It's when you're depressed, you know, you're depressed, yeah. right? We, we know that. And, Anxiety. We all get anxiety. You know, I'm sure we've all had panic attacks. So we can relate to those things. But when it comes to derealization, depersonalization, let me give you an example. So back in 2017, while I was working at the department, um, I had to go to the uh, mental health ward, mm-hmm. whatever they call that. I don't know what's that, behavioral health unit or whatever yeah. at the hospital. I was there for like five, six days. Okay. How that happened was, is I, I had a really I slipped back into a really bad episode of like derealization and depersonalization. I went I woke up in the morning, I went to brush my teeth, and when I looked in the mirror, the person in the mirror wasn't the same person I was. It was as if there was two different people there. That there was a person in the mirror, and this isn't this this might sound like, you know, schizophrenia or or something like that. Um, but it's not because I was very aware of what was going on. I, I knew I wasn't like um, hallucinating. In my mind, it was there was a separation. It was like, I'm in a movie. That person in the mirror is is not me. I looked down at my hands and I'm like, this. these aren't my hands. I don't feel like I'm here right now. I don't feel like I'm I'm in reality right now. So, and it, it just came out of nowhere. You have a question? Well, I was, so, so I mean, you, you, you talk about like, so for people who are like, that doesn't make sense to me. You talk about your, your brain and just how things work there. I mean, it's almost similar to somebody who's having a stroke and can't recognize their own arm. Right. Yes. So, so you, very true. We have things in your brain that are working all the time. And Depression, all this trauma, all this PTSD, it's chemical, really, at the end of the day. It's synapses yeah, that are overworked, absolutely. just the same if you had brain death 
from something else. So yes. there is relatable things to it that maybe don't make sense, but it's not like your diagnosis, like you said, it's not schizophrenia. Your, yeah. your brain was working overtime to keep you alive. Exactly. For years, right? Basically, basically what it does is it shuts, my brain had shut itself off. It was like, whatever's going on, I'm going into protective mode, right? Because everything starts at the front of the brain. Control-Alt-Delete, right? task manager, yes. we're shutting her down. Shutting it down. And so there I stood looking in a mirror going, who is this? What's going on? And, you know, and I've had these episodes in the past where I'd be out working, you know, mowing yards or whatever. And, and I would be on the mower and I'd, boom, it's like all of a sudden I'm just injected with something and it's like, nothing's real. I'm not here. I, I don't, I'm this, is this happening? Like, and it's, it's such a strange thing that unless you've had it, it's almost impossible to, to relate to because you're just so fucking gone, yeah. you know? Well, and, and, to... and that's very. I was going to say to kind of make you feel a little bit, you know, more at ease about this, it, it is relatable. And I think something that we don't really realize is that it happens more often. And like Nick had talked about in his book and uh, just to reference people back the Nick Wingo episode, listen to that if you haven't already. But um, in his book, he starts talking about it. He goes, we get in such a funk because we tell ourselves, I'm the only one that understands this. I'm the yeah. only person that knows this feeling. I mean, I can correlate to you right now. And we've talked about it before, but it's like, there are definitely times when I'd sit there and I'd look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't even know who I am. Like, what the fuck is going on? And it is. And it's, it's an injury that it just, it's not like a normal, you know, if I cut my arm, I put a pressure on it. I put a bandaid on it no big deal. We can't do that with mental health. You know, there mm -hmm. isn't like a band-aid or anything like that to do that with. But I think the biggest thing to take kind of away from this is that it, even as bizarre as your stuff is, it is relatable. People do know that and more people than you probably realize. And you just haven't had the opportunity to meet those people mm -hmm. and, you know, actually get to talk to them. So yeah, like, you had said at the beginning of the episode, hopefully, you know, somebody else, um, once they listen to us, they'll reach out to us and, you know, we can get you in touch with them. But yeah, it is. It's, yeah. I think there's a lot more people out there that understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, if you, you guys know me, I mean, I research everything to death, right? Like hey, I Google just, is actually your enemy. It is very, very yeah. much so. I, I've, I've found, I've had to seek out this, like on other like message boards or Facebook pages, um, you know, derealization, depersonalization, dissociative disorders, like groups. And even in, among those groups are people that are like, oh, my God, I tried explaining this to my doctor and, and she doesn't understand or he doesn't understand or they, you know, whatever pronoun you want to use, they don't understand. And it's. It's just because it's so bizarre. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a weird thing. Like, my mind really is is broken. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm alive and I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, I, I, I keep moving forward and I keep living the best I can. But 
but there isn't a medication for it because what happens is, is if I take an SSRI or an SSNRI or however those work, mm-hmm. they actually put you in a state of dissociation or de- of derealization. So that's why I remember the gene test I talked about earlier. If you take those medications that help for that, that are an umbrella medication that can help with OCD, they can help you know obsessive thinking, or if they can help with depression, or they can help with mood swings, or they can help with those medications. The the downfall of them is that it can kick you off into a dissociative event, and so it's like, what do you do in this situation? And so, what do they give you? They give you the most dangerous drug in the world. They give you a benzodiazepine. Because a benzodiazepine, what it does is it takes your central nervous system and it just slows everything down. It reels everything in. It stops dissociation events in their tracks. It's done. It's over. Right. Those are the most dangerous pills on earth, man. They're so bad. I'm currently tapering off of it and i was up to five milligrams a day which is just crazy yeah and and here's the deal man at five milligrams i'm a totally i was totally functioning in the back of an ambulance at the top level like you couldn't even tell i was on it you you wouldn't have even known i was on it right if i didn't tell you you know i'll bet you 98 99 of my co-workers when i was at the department didn't even know i was taking xanax I guarantee you they didn't. The only people that knew were my battalion chief, Justin, you, Derek, and that might be about it. I don't know if anybody else knew that I was taking anything. Yeah, it's not and like so, we said anything, you know. Yeah. I told everybody. Because you can, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, talked about surprise it. Me. Remember that time that Everyone drug addict knew. said he, he was sober? He's taking five milligrams of Xanax a day. Take his chip. We're done with him. He, he failed again. He well, he, four. I got we're on four. fail five or four. Yeah. four God, five, we are, we're know. 30 minutes in and you are just. Yes. I was yes. going to say, do you think that some of uh, your issues with trying to find medications now is from the, you know, drug use early on in your life? Because I know yeah, you if know. you take certain drugs, it kind of. Really? rewires how your body reacts to other drugs. So like when people yeah. do cocaine, then they can't take like a benzo and have it affect them like a benzo or, uh, you know, an SSRI would, you know, cause you've rewired shit already mm-hmm. and your body now yeah. is sitting there saying, yeah, no, don't really give a shit. So do you think that, you know, maybe some of the, some of your, um, problems could be coming from that because a lot of people, I mean, I think most people probably had a Coke phase at one point. I never did, but I think most people probably fucking did. And, you know, where the, they all regret it later. They're all like, it was a fucking blast when I did it. But I can't do it now because I'd be hooked on that shit like fucking crazy. You obviously have never watched the Motley Crue movie. And you've I don't obviously think I want to. Because I still dream about it that's what i'm saying though everyone that did coke loves coke so much that they regret doing coke because they're like i just want to do coke oh so it's like it's it's like a unicorn you regret seeing it once because you'll never see it yeah because now you're like now you're just looking for that unicorn now yeah yeah cocaine is a very interesting drug man let's not get into yeah it's a hell of a drug i I gotta get back to to fail six before you go down that hole (laughs) well we're gonna end up there though i know 
So one, well, so you let's just get you through the, to the next chapter. Is that cool? So you, yeah, man, you, I mean, you dude, were early entry denied or whatever it was. And entry level separation from the music industry. The music industry. Yeah, then you oh. made more penises. And yep. then, and then uh, you did, you, you made more clay You penises. went to Vinci, made a helicopter. And yeah. then, uh, then you were in the what was, what, what was, no, so we, we, I mean, we kind of brushed over. So in between music and the fire department, how old were you when you got out of the music industry abruptly due to poor decision making? Okay. So, man, there's just so much information here, man. This I know. is so hard. But so, so just real, how old were you then? Like, when did that happen? I, I want to say, I want to say that was around the age of 25. Uh, but I was also in and out of jail during that time. <laughs> I mean, I, I was on, I was in concurrent probation for like five years. Like, I think I didn't st- end probation until like, I, I think the first year I was with my wife, I was on probation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much that happened in that time frame, rehabs and, uh, you know, uh, being arrested and I just, just so much. Right. So that, I mean, and that's all I during can, that music. Yeah. Phase, yeah. And right? this is self-medicating. It's, it's, it was, it was obviously looking back as a form of self-medication. How do I, how do I fix this thing? You know, if I, if I go, if I go do a rail and I feel six well, I'm six six, so I feel I feel eight foot tall, and 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 I'm very social, and I'm not a social person at all. You guys know this. I'm very antisocial, but that made me very social, and so I could be around a whole group load of people, and I could be the center of attention and not have any craziness, you know. And there's just it's such a strange period. So let's get through all the arrests, right? I got arrested. I, I did all the drugs. I did all you know all that kind six, of stuff. You're fourteen. Okay, <laughs> we're getting there, you know. And then, uh, so around probably around the age twenty-seven, I meet my wife, and who's a saint, you know, I, by the way. Let's, this oh, is going to be want, our feel-good story for the episode. If, actually, if this, if anything needs to be said about your wife, and yeah. before we Jesus. even go down the road of I started dating her, first let us all sing her praises that she yeah. has somehow, <laughs> I don't know how been married to you and loves you so deeply and she just she's just constantly Max. taking care of you and she's she's a beautiful wonderful woman we're grateful that she's managed to keep you together um yeah. but when she gets to heaven there's going to be a special chair yeah i actually yeah. think i'm going to play some like special loving music right here uh, in the when i release the episode and then because this is going to be the only feel good moment of this episode i feel like and then i feel like it's going to get really fucking dark again if it doesn't yeah. if it's not marvin gay don't waste your time yeah. <laughs> it might be i'll just i'll just I, I don't even think i can actually i'll have to play less than five very seconds. reminiscent of marvin before. gay but i can't uh copyrights and shit you know less than 5 seconds yeah. you're okay i watched enough joe rogan figured out <laughs> yeah I'm not Joe Rogan status yet. Neither is yeah. but, hey, you know. Jamie. Jamie. Uh, how many how many seconds can we play? Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, yeah we can't do that. Joe yeah, Rogan, Jamie. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I got that so I, I meet this girl, right? And uh, do we do I tell the love story? Yeah, tell do the I love tell story because, yeah. okay, like I said, no. this is the only good, happy, feel good story we're going to have in this episode, and the rest yeah. is just going to be the other fails because this is your first success. And probably yeah, your only this success. Is, this is 
Yes. And I, I cannot agree with you more on that. And that's, I'm not even joking. Like, so I go to this concert, you know, they do this Nebraska Land Days concerts in North Platte where they get, you know, these artists, whatever. And I come back. And so I am so down by this point in time because I've been in and out of jail. I've been in and out of rehab. I've been, I've, I've failed everything that I've attempted to do to do and and don't don't get me wrong like i just want to i want to kind of i want to kind of clear my own name real fast i am not a piece of shit <laughs> i'm really like there's there's probably listeners going dude no wonder this guy's fucked up no i come on i pretty shit. <laughs> what now we got a soundboard what is this yeah <laughs> this is the soundboard i have this is you get uh, what you get good lord no I'm pretty sure, Jeremy, every reference to you has been what a great person you are. And I think uh, I think one of the cool things, and, I, and I'm learning it more and more, is like all these stories that are bad, like what do they really chew up though? Like 5% of your life, like the bad yeah. moments, right? But I think... Yeah. But we, we got to finish the feel good, love, happy yeah. story. Like we we can't not finish that because like I said you know we need something to make people like oh shit yeah you know? yeah yeah because because I'm not a piece of shit man like you're beautiful beautiful did, human you, with a great Hulk Hogan mustache yeah, yeah exactly. he's the greatest person yeah. on earth and we he's only there because of all the shitty things he did yeah mm-hmm. and and this is just to go to say that you can be a great guy is still you still get kicked in the nuts you know yeah what I'm and saying? you're still you can still be a piece of shit and be a good person. Yeah. Exactly, or you can be a you can be a, a bad person and, and be an amazing you know have a, have everything go your way and be a bad person, or you can be a really good person and nothing goes your way. It's just that's the way it is. It's how you want to put your mind and 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 we'll, we kind of remind me to get back to that because that's important. The the whole mindset of all of this is is very important towards the end. So I come back and I'm like, man, I'm failing everything in and out of rehab. I'm in debt up the wazoo because it turns out you have to pay credit cards back. Like all of these things are, all of these concepts are new to me. There's like, <clears throat> let's talk about my wife first. Yep. Remember earlier Dial in the episode, it in. ADHD. It in. We're ADHD. We're there. Remember, We're there too. ADHD. All right. So <laughs> I meet, <laughs> I meet this girl, man. I'm, I'm standing here and I'm like, I'm going to go out to these concerts. I don't ever go to them. Never. And I was like, but I'm going to go tonight. I haven't, done any i haven't been around people from north Platte in a long time i haven't done it you know so i go out and uh there's this blonde haired blue eyed god are her eyes blue that's a joke that was a joke are they blue they can be gray wink wink or blue. yeah no. they're a there's, color there's do that little weird chipmunk laugh was yeah it, no was it, was it blonde shit yeah no there's this blonde haired blue eyed bombshell right and out of nowhere she walks up and she's like can I hug you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you know? And so we hugged, right? And for the first time since I was a little boy, and I'm talking probably nine, 10 years old, I felt home. I felt like, wow, this is, this is home. This is where I want to be. This is where Everything about whoever this, you know, and I knew this girl in high school, you know, it's not like she was a total stranger, like we went to high school together, but I hadn't seen her in, you know, 10, 11 years, 12 years, I don't know. Yeah. And so when when she held me, I was like, man, you, you're holding me like you don't want to let me go. 
And that's the first time I felt that feeling because before that, everything in my life was, uh, you know, I'm running and running and running and running and running from something or to be something or to be somewhere, right? And then I meet this girl and she stops me dead in my tracks and she's like, dude, you're home. So I had plans to go to Nashville. I could have worked uh, with the... Uh, a sister company out of Warner's Brothers for it, it, that was in Nashville. It could have went there, but it didn't. I was like, I'm staying here. This is it. This is, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Leave everything where it's at. I'm moving in. I moved in to her house. Like, dude, it was like, hey, uh, do you like the show Cops? And she's like, yeah. She's like, do you like pizza? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, let's watch Cops and eat pizza. And from that moment forward, we have been happily married. I mean, we were engaged within six months, married within a year, and she is a rock. I mean, holds everything together. Like, you know those people that, like, if the world is crumbling around you, their hand is as steady as a neurosurgeon's. You know, like, that's who she is, you know, so... That's the feel-good part. What's next? All right. So uh, I just want to take a moment to remind people that that is uh, just the awesome part that I think everyone has a story of that person in their life, uh, except for the ones that, you know, inevitably probably, like, kill themselves or something. But uh, most people, you know, they have, like, a rock in their life. I had to take it dark. I'd... Well, I mean, if some, and some people that rock is crack that rock is whatever <laughs> which is a good rock to have rock you did to you have. know no. that actually cocaine and love are the exact same chemical process are you is that true yeah that's a fact man there's like four stages of love in the way that your body releases the endorphins and these same endorphins and shit are released when you're going through the stages of love jamie wow you fact check that yeah, you can. You guys can look this up though. This is this is this is. You can actually fact check this. You can get on the Google and Google this. This is something that I just learned like three days ago. I, I would imagine. Is it? Does it have to do with dopamine? Like a mass. Dopamine's uh, one of them, but there's like there's. They actually did a study and showed that the same endorphins that your brain releases in like the stages of love, like because you have like you know the beginning phase where you're like, oh my god, I think I love you. Like I like you. You're great. Like your body's releasing a certain chemical at that point, and then uh, the next stage is you know like when you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna have sex, and then your body, you know, obviously you're gonna have dopamine release there. Uh, but then you have the this is that person that I want to stay with and be with, and that's because of a certain endorphin that's released also that makes you attached to that person. And then, you know, there's a fourth one. I can't remember what the names of them are, but uh, cocaine actually does the same thing. Wow. Makes so sense. you can either fall in love or you Never. can just do coke. Yeah. And both if are I expensive. <laughs> they both are expensive. Especially if you have to do either one of them more than one time. Yes. Yeah. In fact, we're That's going on twice. Saying, I should just yourself. probably stick stuck with Coke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, play the happy music again. Let's tail out and go back. Into- All right. So that being said, uh, this is going to be a two-part episode, guys. So I appreciate you tuning in. Um, we're going to finish Jeremy's story here. 
in about three days. Uh, we'll get the new episode out to you. In the meantime, check out our social medias. Hit us up and make sure that you find us on all the social medias you can find. Uh, so Instagram, Twitter. We have the Never Broken Society of Misfits on Facebook. Join the group. You're going to be welcomed with dick in my mouth, open arms, and uh, this should be a good time. Uh, like, review, and tune in here in a few days to get the rest of the story. We continue on and we really dive into what's going on in not just Condon's life, but good ways to help everyone else cope and teach you some good lessons. So thank you guys and tune in next time. <laughs>